It ain't the left side or the right side, then it must be the fin side. It ain't the left side or the right side. Good morning, Dolphins fans. Welcome to another episode of On the Fin Side with Kat and Paul. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, all of our social media outlets, as well as the finfanatic.com website and the fan sided network. It is Jets Week. The Dolphins travel to New York here this week. It's MetLife Takeover Week 2, and Paul is actually going to be at the game and the MetLife Takeover. The Dolphins are three-point favorites right now, and looking at the injury report, Tua is not on it. Andrew Van Ginkle, Christian Wilkins are questionable for the game, trending toward playing. On the other side of the football here, Joe Flacco is going to start for the Jets. Uh, Zach Wilson still with that knee injury is probably going to be out for another week. We should see Zach Wilson here in about a month when the Dolphins square off against the Jets in Miami. But, Paul, before we get into the game more, this is one of your favorite weekends of the year. Tell us a little bit more about the MetLife takeover. Oh, my God. This is going to be an absolute blast. It's We've already got to confirm that O.J. McDuffie's coming up finally. He's been talking about it with us for years. Uh, Travis Wingfield's going to swing up for it. Seth Levitt, Jason Taylor's former um, manager, uh, as well or the manager, the former manager of the Jason Taylor Foundation, former team employee, and current host of the Fish Tank podcast with OJ McDuffie. They're all coming up. They're trying to come in for Saturday, from what I hear. Um, God, the Dolphins NYC puts together a huge thing for this for charity. Um, so much fun, so much fun. There's a huge pre-party tonight up in New York. I'm literally leaving right after after we do this. The kid and I are heading up with my dad and uh, my uncle and a few other people, uh, including my offensive coordinator, who's also a Dolphins fan. Uh, God, there's a huge party at the tailgate. Make sure you watch Cup of Joe tomorrow because he usually does it from out at the tailgate. Uh, you know, Nat Moore is going to come out to the tailgate. He always does. Garfinkel's going to come out. Uh, under the radar, Jason Jenkins is going to come out. Uh, and, and for those Dolphin fans watching, if you're talking to me and Jason comes up, please don't tell him you have his jersey. He's not Jelani Jenkins. He's Jason Jenkins. Uh, that, that's actually a mishap that happened before, and Jason and I looked at each other and shook our heads. I, I've heard that. I've heard that, too, yeah. That, oh. that's, a, that's, a great, that's a great list there. I mean, uh, well, how many years have you gone to MetLife Takeover now? Um, I had to miss it because I, I came down with Lyme disease two years ago. We didn't have it last year, but... I think I'd gone four years in a row before. I mean, last time I went, Duper and Clayton were there. Um, like I said, Joe Rose is always out there. Uh, you know, always come back with some great stories. Uh, <laughs> like the one when Joe Rose and uh, was was, ha- was having a nice conversation with my mom. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's it's such a good time sitting with all those different Dolphin fans and really getting to hang out solo d is going to be there performing from what i hear oj is going to jump in on uh one of the performances which i think is awesome um god yeah so dj tropic and, and and that just underlines what a great job the dolphins nyc crew um igor michelle alex brian all those folks do putting this together year in and year out such a great time if you if you guys haven't gone before you definitely need to. And if you guys are listening and you're going to it, let me know in the chat. Come up and say, hey, I'll be, I mean, I'll be walking around. I think I'm going to wear my picking jersey. So I'll be easy to spot. 
Sounds like a good time. I will be comfortably on my couch here in St. Louis, Missouri. You are not invited, anybody. Um, I, I will be tweeting as much as I can during the game, but that that's uh, Paul's going to have a, a lot better time than I will. Um, and by the way, it's a it's a Jamie Nails jersey, Jason. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I like that a lot. Uh, so, Paul, uh, looking at just some cleanup here from the Dolphins, twenty-two to ten victory over the Ravens. Still, some weird stuff going on, man. I mean, the whole the whole Tua Brissett thing is strange to me. He was Tua wasn't okay to start, but he was okay to be the backup. Then Brissett gets hurt early in the second half. Tua gets in. When he gets in, the first two drives are no better than when Brissett was on the field. Brissett is then okay to come back in, but then is told to sit back down because Tua is going to start the rest of the game. I don't know. Like, what? what is going on? I, I Like, why, why is this coaching staff continuing to mess with Tua's head? I don't get it. You know, I, I think that was more of a messing with Jacoby's head at that point. I, it's, for whatever reason, uh, they... Wanted to start Brissett because of Tua's finger issue, uh, but it, it's. I like the fact that they came out this week and said this is Tua's team. Omar Kelly put a tweet out showing Tua throwing some absolute dimes down the field this week during practice, uh, and so hopefully we're over all this silly nonsense mess that that we've seen the past few weeks. It has to happen now for Tua, and it has to happen for the rest of the year. The Dolphins are three and seven. The next four games, they're expected to be favored in. They've got the Jets this week, then the Carolina Panthers at home next week, then the Giants at home, then a bye week, then the Jets again. I won't let myself get to the point where I'm talking about maybe the Dolphins can make a late playoff run until we get to that bye week and the Dolphins are six and seven. So, Looking at Tua as well, I mean, I, I look at that that beautiful pass to uh, to Jalen Waddle, the thirty five yard pass. It looked normal to me. I mean, I, I it was it was a great throw, and and I will say too that I, I in the post game show with the Ravens, you know, it's an hour after the game's over, and I'm not <laughs> able to grade accurately. I think at that point, I think I gave Tua a C or a C minus, and set a D I would kick that up to at least a B I mean he had he had the the beautiful throw to Waddle yeah the the Albert Wilson thrower was one that Paul or I could have made because what Wilson was so wide open and he also had 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 that quarterback sneak so overall a a good performance of him so I'll amend my grade to a to a B minus thank you and what a great week for Tua to possibly take off and get some confidence. It's the Jets have been putting up some points lately, but they've allowed the most points they've ever allowed in a four-game stretch and the most points by any team in a four-game stretch since 1966. I believe it's 174 points they've allowed in the last four games. This defense is catastrophically bad. It sure is. I mean... Yeah, they've allowed 45 or more point, points to their opponent in three of the last four games. Last four games, 43.8 points per game allowed. I, I mean, they're on the season to opposing starting running backs. They're allowing over five yards a carry, quarterback rating of over 108. 
And the last five quarterbacks to face the Jets, Matt Ryan, 107.3, Mac Jones, 125.2, Burrow, 107.4, Carson Wentz, 134.3, Josh Allen, 125.6. And in addition to that, you know, the Jets were already, they came into the season hurt. I mean, just terrible at the cornerback position. One bright spot for them was Brandon Eccles, a fourth round rookie out of Kansas State who had been starting for them. He's actually going to be out the next three to five weeks. When he left the lineup, uh, Javelin Guidry came in at the cornerback spot and Stefan Diggs just completely ate him up. Um, so the table is set for two and a half a big game here. It is. It is. And, and the table's set as well for, for this defense to have a big game. If Miami can continue to do what we've said all year and they finally started doing the past couple weeks and shocker, the defense suddenly looks like one of the top defenses in the league again. They're going to be going after an immobile Joe Flacco who is not the Joe Flacco of Ravens yore. He's more of that late career Bernie Kosar type at this point who can come in, drop a couple of bombs, but if you can get by a woefully bad offensive line without Makai Becton, you can tee off on him all day. And if you can confuse him, confuse the O-line, not let him see who's dropping. Flacco is a guy that can make a lot of mistakes. So Miami's team speed along the, the defensive front. The confusion that they've been they've been throwing out there with suddenly using that cover zero, a uh, little bit of drunk defense. Right. Y- yeah, and no Mackay Becton, like you said. Uh, Elijah Vera Tucker is going to be questionable with a toe injury in this game, so they could possibly be without the entire left side of their line. Since that, George Fant has started at left tackle for them. He's a decent athlete, but overall hasn't been a very good tackle for several years. Um, And they've got Morgan Moses on the right side. It'll be fascinating to see because if the Dolphins come with that cover zero and and blitzing a lot, Joe Flacco, that that may be the football that he wants to play because, like you mentioned, he would want to – he wants to see the man coverage and drop the ball over the top to the opposing wide receiver. And the Jets are decently talented at receiver with Corey Davis and rookie Elijah Moore and, and Keelan Cole, um, Jamison Crowder in the slot. So I think on defense, what what's very important here is you've obviously got to get to Joe Flacco. You've got to put pressure on him. The question is, are they going to be able to do that with Emmanuel Agba and Jalen Phillips on the outside against Fant and Morgan Moses? Or are they going to have to really come right out of the gate and and send the house like they have been doing the last two games against the mobile quarterbacks, Tyrod Taylor and Lamar Jackson. I think we should change that that narrative. I don't think it should be, are they going to have to come out and do that? I think they should come out and do that. This defensive personnel is at their best when they're, when they're bringing constant pressure from various directions and you don't know who's coming. It's... Look at look at Justin Coleman. I saw you put a tweet out about this. He's been playing his best football ever since they started doing this. With Miami's secondary being a secondary that can cover well for you know three four seconds at least, that's all you should need to be able to get to Flacco and create a lot of turnovers. And this is this this secondary thrives when when Miami is bringing that that blitz and I love it. I mean the fact that 
We can see Javon Holland and, and Brandon Jones joining in on the fun. I think this is something that it makes the secondary better. It makes turnovers happen, and it's something that the, the Dolphins' defense thrives on at all three levels. Well said. And one of the major stories here of the season with the defense is Javon Holland and Brandon Jones taking over that safety role because Holland has the range and the intelligence to be that last line of defense um, when they go when they go single high safety. Brandon Jones comes down and plays in the box as kind of an extra linebacker, allows them to be more unpredictable. And a common theme with this year and last year is when the Dolphins are winning, it's when their secondary is playing well and they're able to win from the back of the defense to the front. And you saw last game, you didn't know where the blitz was coming from. Javon Holland on one play was playing single high safety. The next time he was at the line of scrimmage, teeing off on the quarterback. It's so when you do that, it's hard for the quarterback to see where that pressure is coming from. Yeah, and against a team with a defense as bad as the Jets is right now, you can very quickly, because I saw in chat somebody mentioned Michael Carter, you can very quickly turn this into a one-dimensional game for the Jets, which is not a place the Jets want to be. With a bad offensive line right now, an immobile quarterback who is, is a shadow of what he used to be, and Miami able to bring the house in various creative ways, you, you can't let somebody like Emmanuel Ogba and Jerome Baker and Andrew Van Ginkel have the opportunity, if you're, if you're Robert Saleh, to pin their ears back and just tee off on you. Because if you do that with somebody like Joe Flacco, you're going to have to put an injured Zach Wilson into the game at some point, and that's not where you want to be. Absolutely. And here on defense as well, Andrew Van Ginkle with a back injury and Christian Wilkins with a quad injury, both questionable for this game. Again, trending toward playing. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. And yeah, on the defense too, is that look that they gave repeatedly to Lamar Jackson throughout the game. I mean, that putting seven guys on the line of scrimmage an advantage, the Dolphins defense has with those undersized linebackers, Landon Roberts, Jerome Baker, Andrew Van Ginkle, is that even when they don't come with the blitz, they are fast enough to go to, to drop back into those passing lanes. They are. They, they really, truly are. And honestly, because of the way they drop into zone sometimes, it, 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 it doesn't matter if it's the linebackers. It doesn't matter if it's a defensive lineman. They take away that panic underneath route, and you don't know who is going to be doing it or where. And that's where I love seeing a Christian Wilkins interception a couple years ago when they did this, or last year I think it was. I love seeing, you know this, you know I love when fat guys catch the ball, and we're going to get back to that too in a minute. But it's very much a situation where I just think they can confuse and tee off on Flacco, and that's going to affect every phase of the game tomorrow. Well, whatever they did last year to Flacco, I hope they do it again because the Joe Flacco started against the Dolphins last year in one game. Darnold did in the other, but in the game in Miami, the Dolphins won 21 to nothing. Joe Flacco is 21 for 44, 186 yards, no touchdowns and interception, and a quarterback rating of 50. So keep doing it whatever you're doing and to go back on michael carter too to me 
a, a very similar player to Miles Gaskin. I think Carter's actually a better version of Michael Miles Gaskin on the season. In the passing game, he's he, I mean he's, he's a good receiver, but just like Miles Gaskin, averaging three point six yards a carry. So he's not somebody that enables will enable the Jets to just line up and smash the ball down the Dolphins' throat and. So, you know, I think the Dolphins and Jets are probably going to have equal problems struggling to run the football in this game, just just like they, they pretty much do every game. Probably, but if you can get the running backs involved in, in the passing game, uh, I think that's that's where guys like Gaskin and Ahmed thrive. It, it'll be an interesting one, and you know what I want to see this week. Even if you don't actually throw it to him, I want it, it's created such... A little national hoopla that if you put Robert Hunt eligible somewhere, the Jets are going to be all over it because they don't want to let a fat guy score on them. They don't. Teams don't like when other teams' offensive linemen score on them. They are going to be focused on him even if you don't go to him. Report him eligible at some point tomorrow, please. Speaking of fat guys running, I swear if I see Robert that stupid Robert Hunt highlight or play again, I'm going to throw up. And I'll tell you what, very honest, if the Dolphins had lost that game, I would have been irate every single – I would have thought this organization is such a joke celebrating something like that. Hey, they won. It's all in good fun. I get it. Um, But come on, Dolphins fan, have have some pride here. Stop celebrating a penalty. I mean – Note to self, work with someone to create an air hunt – logo similar to michael jordan Jumpman, but with outline of robert hunt for the show yeah you people say oh my god that's 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 such a that's such a great play uh, uh man he went airborne oh look at that guy he's 300 i call it a penalty all right what I I, heart and effort and fun th- all things i don't care about fat guy uh, touchdown let's go i want to see a christian wilkins and robert hunt power eye tomorrow let's go that, that's fine with me if you want to do that at the one yard line. I, I see if you do that and you get in the end zone. That's my idea of having fun, not not a penalty. Not where, just one fat guy fullback, but two. Last where the cor- go. Where the quarterback drops back and throws the ball to the right guard, like something that you learn when you're five that you can't do. Um, anyway, the Dolphins won, so I, I, I was happy. That's that's all I've got to say about that. Um, Grandizer in chat too. Uh, mentioned that it's going to be 56 degrees cloudy slight chances of showers tomorrow appreciate that um yeah i mean i i I look at this at this game here and and um the jets have allowed every opponent but one and that's the panthers in the first game of the year have 25 or more points in that in that game so are in the game so i it's got to be a game where Tua comes out and the Dolphins put 25, 30 points on the board against against this Jets defense. Minor correction, 24 or more points because the Thank Titans you. only got 24 on them. Thank you. 24 or more points. So that's really where the baseline's got to be. I, I'll be a little concerned if the Dolphins come out of this and, and win 17 to 10 or 17 to 13 or lose the game. I mean, I, is it really impossible that the Jets – win a 16-13 field goal game here? I mean, I don't think it is impossible, uh, but I don't see the game going that way. But, Paul, before we get to that and we get to the predictions here, 
Some kind of Dolphins news this week. Dallas Goddard, four years, $59 million, $35 million guaranteed, extended by the Eagles. And a couple months ago, Mark Andrews, the Ravens tight end, who the Dolphins faced last week, signed a contract extension, four years, $56 million, $30 million guaranteed. So that's important because Andrews and um, Goddard were the two other tight ends that have been successful from that 2018 draft where Mike Kosicki was drafted. So the market has been pretty well defined by those two contract extensions here. Do it. 100% do it. Like, and it's going to be more. It's going to be more. I'm going to warn you all now. It's going to be more than what Goddard signed. Gasicki will ask for more, and he should get more, yeah, given I mean, that the Dolphins have so much money next year. I don't blink at $15 million a year. I don't. Me either. For, for Gasicki. Not a bit. And we have to keep in mind that the salary cap, I believe it's fixed for next year, but it goes up exponentially in future years because of the addition of the 17th game, because of the additional TV money that they're getting from the way that they're um, jury rigging things around. It's this salary cap is going to shoot up like a rocket. So if, if you want to backload a contract for Gasicki, I am all for it because it doesn't limit you. I don't want to go into the draft next year needing a tight end. I don't, I don't think, I don't think that'll be a problem. Uh, even if they lose Gasicki, they've got six, what, with it, how, many, how many do they have on the roster? Eight now? No, they got I, five. But, I don't uh, want to go into a, to the draft next year needing an impact tight end. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, well yeah, I, I'm it, with you. It's on that. Hunter Long may eventually be that guy. We don't know. It's it's pretty damning that he's been inactive so much. But again, they haven't needed to have every tight end be active. So whatever they're doing developmentally with him, fine. But somebody like Mike Gesicki, you need to retain that guy it's you can't continue to let your good draft picks walk you can't definitely it's i was looking at this the other night looking ahead to the draft i want to be able to focus uh, on a few positions in next year's draft as opposed to having to go ah crap we got to jump on this now even though we need a right tackle Uh, oh crap we got to jump on this now even though we need a left tackle you know, it's because if you want to have impactful tackles come out of the of the draft next year, you need to do it early, and yeah. you have to let things walk away. And not for nothing, even if you want to use Gasicki as a wide receiver and call him that, use him as Damn, that big slot, call him that. Because right now, despite the weapons Miami has on paper at receiver, you need receiver help next year. Period. And it'll be interesting if Gesicki, if the contract negotiations go to Gesicki saying, "Look, you guys basically pay, play me as a slot receiver. You don't, you, I don't have my hand in the dirt throughout the game. I'm not, I'm not on the offensive line as often as Dallas Goddard and and Mark Andrews are for the Ravens and the Eagles. So that that's where it may get interesting. And you know, you talk about the franchise tag. There's a big difference between franchising Gesicki as a tight end." And as a receiver, you're talking about a four or five million dollar difference in that if if it gets there. So that's my hope. I'm I'm with you on that. If I would see Gasicki possibly getting a contract four years, 60 million, 37 million guaranteed, I think that would get it done. Um, and that's just slightly more than what what Goddard and Andrews are getting, which is pretty common. What what was I, the might even, came out with cap? 
It, you, actually, I'm going to say I said four years, 60 million, 37 million guaranteed. I'll actually amend that four years, 62 million, 38 guaranteed. If I were to throw a number out, I'd be okay with that. Yep. It's like we said, in, in case Spence and chat, I get it. If you want to limit the thought on him to being a tight end, 15 million is a lot for a tight end that can't block. If that that's a narrative that you could put out there, but that's really selling Mike Kosicki short. The the catch radius that he has, the the fact that he's devastating as a slot receiver when utilized. When they throw his way, he has been amazing this year. And any type of talented receiver, it, it, you got to think of it more as a slot receiver that can't block. Okay. I've never gone, oh, I'd love to take the slot receiver, but he doesn't block great. Gasicki's a star. I mean, somebody who is one of two players in the NFL who has not dropped a pass this year with more than 40 catches, a tight end who up until last game where he he didn't catch a pass because he had a Pro Bowl cornerback on him all game. Um, he was on pace for a thousand yards heading into the last week's game against the Ravens. I mean, and he's going to get back on track for it this week. I think he will, and I think he'll he'll get back on track in the next few weeks because those teams aren't great at defending tight ends. So, yeah, I'm I, we're certainly on the same page there, and uh, you know, and also in the chat too, uh, JC Kang, New Jersey said. Parker and Fuller are gone come next year. Can't count on them. 100% agree. Um, I, I see Parker leaving. And that's the big thing is that if you have Gasicki under contract for the next four years, you've got Jalen Waddell on a rookie contract for the next four years. Those are your two cornerstones right there at the receiver position. Yeah, you're going to have to add some more guys along the way, but you don't have to spend first or second round picks doing it or you know, spending 10 or $15 million a year on another receiver to do it. If the value presents itself in the first or second round of the draft, a receiver falls to you, okay, maybe you can think about that. But you don't necessarily have to take one in the draft or sign one. A hundred percent. And it lets you, yeah, no, it's, I want to see, and people are talking about Preston Williams leaving. God, sorry, I'm jumping around four different thoughts at once. I've been on that train for God, what, three years now? Is that is that where we're at at this point? I, I think he was in. T- I think he was still at Colorado State three years ago. But I, <clears> I, I, I probably was anyway. I get. <laughs> no. I get where. I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, and, I, it, he's useless now. I mean, yeah. I mean, Monte Parker. You're going to be able to keep him for less than what he's worth because of the nagging injuries here and there, and he could still be an effective weapon when healthy. Keep Mac Hollins. Keep Jalen Waddle and keep Mike Asicki. And then overhaul everything else in that room, even if Albert uh, Albert Wilson goes nuts the rest of the year. Yeah, that's something to watch out for too. Uh, Al- they actually, you know, Albert Wilson, what four catches for eighty-seven yards last game, and had two rushes for five yards. So they used him in motion a lot. It'll it'll be interesting to see if they if they do that again. I'm not saying it was necessarily effective. Did get him open one time, and mm-hmm. he he looked good. For the first time in what two years? <laughs> Last week, uh, I I don't think he'll he should be a free agent after the year. He'll be gone. Wilson will be gone. Um, I would I would assume Preston Williams will be gone. Parker, I think will be gone. I'm with you though, Paul. I I would still keep him because he's got a he can roll out of bed 
and he can play and he can be a star. I'll say he, that's, he, can, he can drop a 15 catch 180 yard game if he's healthy. Like and and moss some people. It, it's you know and 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 I, I'm gonna pat myself on the back for one second, cat. I know I don't do this super often, but I'm gonna tell our listeners right now. When it comes time for the draft, y'all better listen to me for these running backs after round three. That's right. It's I you know looking around the NFL, I'm just sitting there with like that crying cat in the window face, staring at guys like Elijah Mitchell, Ramondre Stevenson. It's uh, oh God, AJ. Like I know AJ Dillon wound up going in the second round, which is where I said I would have taken him, even though he was graded later. You know, some of these guys around the NFL that are just taking off at the running back position and I'm like oh, what could have been what could have been what could have been I've had my misses when we've talked about the draft I truly have but I've been hitting it on these late round running backs or mid round running backs and it lets it lets you have the good the good picks at positions in need earlier on in the draft if you're able yeah. to hit on those guys yes uh, Paul Paul is on fire with these with these running backs I think my best position is offensive tackle my worst position. I'd have to think about what my worst position is, but I, I, I know I'm pretty solid on the offensive tackles. Um, so be sure to join us uh, for the draft commentary. See, we're, we're already getting excited talking about uh, the draft and the offseason. Um, uh, also some news this week here too, Paul, as far as transactions. The Dolphins signed quarterback Jake Luton to the practice squad as well as defensive tackle Andrew Billings. Two interesting guys here. Uh, first of all, I don't understand why Reed Sinet is, is not a Dolphin or on the practice squad. That The minute he was released, the Eagles signed him the day after and put him on their 53-man roster, not their practice squad. He didn't sit out there for a while. I don't understand that at all. Um so they signed Jake Luton, who is a former six rounder from Oregon State. He's he's huge. He's six foot six. His first game in the NFL, he did really well. He was twenty six for thirty eight, three touchdown or no three hundred plus yards. And then after that, he had started two more games and he was terrible. But some developmental traits there. Maybe they see some f- future backup with him. So we'll see. Andrew Billings is an interesting guy because I remember when he came out of the draft a few years ago out of Baylor, he was for some reason projected, you know, as a first, second round pick. And I never quite understood why, because he was six, one, 300 pounds, wasn't much of a pass rusher, but is a good, good player, a high effort player, kind of a squatty guy and may end up challenging here. Uh, John Jenkins for a roster spot. If, if he gets called up. You know who else is there, and, and I'm glad Grandy brought it up. Evan Bame is on the practice squad again. Let's go. Evan Bame is going to turn into the new uh, Isaiah Ford. He's the uh, Mac Hollins of the offensive line. I thought, you know, I thought Bame played pretty, pretty well when he, he was did. here. He did. Is he, I don't understand why. Like we see, we have seen terrible guard play from Austin Jackson, and uh, I would argue to Solomon Kinley at times, and which is why he's on the bench. Then you look around and see, uh, okay, I'll give you an example. Ted Karras for the Patriots is now starting at left guard over Michael Nwainu, who was probably the best interior rookie player last year uh, at the guard spot. Um, Skippy Skura is starting at either guard or center for the Giants. 
Uh, remember Jake Brendel from a couple of years ago. He's still in the NFL. I think he's with the, the 49ers. When he got in, he played well. Evan Brown was somebody who got into two games in 2019, and he did well, and he's bouncing around the league somewhere. I don't know why the Dolphins don't hang on to some of these guys when they're out in the field. They, How many times did you hear Evan Bame's name in 2019? Not very often, and that's a good thing. Less times than I've heard Isaiah Ford's this year. That's for sure. That's for sure. Paul, let's get to the predictions. So I'll throw it. You're going to be at the game. You got to bring us some good luck. Um, what's your prediction? I am going to call me a homer, if you will, but I'm going to predict the bloodbath this week. I think the Dolphins jump out to a lead, and it turns into quicksand for the Jets. Uh, it, it always feels like a home game up here. And I'm going to go 47-24 Miami. Wow. 47 24 that would be that would be amazing um and we're talking about a garbage time touchdown for that 24 because i 47 okay okay i'm gonna go i'm gonna go 28 14 dolphins so i i do see him putting up a lot of points as well and that's more reflective of the jets terrible defense than how i feel about the dolphins offense which right now i'll be honest is not good enough not nearly good enough I think that the Dolphins can win some, with how they are now, can win some 17 to 13 games, 20 to 17 games on a normal week against a normal team. But they have to show the ability to put several drives together and not get into these situations where after the first drive of the game where they score, it's punt, punt, turnover, three and out, interception. Like These things can't continue to happen. What I think will happen in this year, too, is that is that the Jets really don't have the pass rush to put a lot of heat on Tua. At the defensive end spots, you've got former Dolphin Shaq Lawson. You've got John Franklin Myers. They typically line up in a, in a four-man front on their defensive line. Not a lot of – there's not a, a, a Jerry Hughes or a Josh Allen coming off the edge that I think the Dolphins' offensive line really needs to worry about. And then they play a lot of zone defense in their back uh, – in their back four, uh, both their safeties, Lamarcus Joyner and Mark, Marcus May, are out for the air. Um, at corner, I'm going to amend mine. I'm going to amend mine because, damn it, I think Miami tees off on Flacco with with that that all out blitz. I'm going to make it 47-17. Okay, I thought you were going to take the insane 47 number down. Oh no, I am sticking to it. <laughs> well, I hope you have stand a, up for it. I hope you have a good time there, and I hope you bring us back a win. And I feel, I feel pretty confident in this game. I mean, because the way I look at it, too, is if the Dolphins lose this game, I mean, we're done here. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, even if it, we get to the point where even if they ran the table the rest of the way, which wouldn't happen anyway, they they wouldn't, they probably wouldn't make the playoffs. So um, we got to get to that to that bye week and be six and seven. That's that's what it comes down to. And, and that would mean wins against the Jets this Sunday against the Panthers at home the week after and against the Giants the week after that. And then after the bye week, if you face the Jets again, you'd have to think they're going to win that game if, if you know they've won five in a row by that point. And then the fun begins a couple days after Christmas where the Dolphins would be 7-7, seven and seven, and you've got a Monday night game against the Saints. So we're looking too far ahead there. I, I try not to get my head to that point because 
if I were to guess what's going to happen over the next four games, the Dolphins win three of the next four and drop one, six and eight heading into the last three games, and then you have very little chance to make the playoffs. So they've got to win the next four. That's that's what it comes down to. And that's going to do it for our breakdown of the Dolphins-Jets matchup here on the Fin side. I'm Brian Cat, NFL on Twitter. Paul is fanatic underscore pick. Be sure to join us on Facebook, Twitter, all of our social media outlets, finfanatic.com and the Fan Sided Network. And if it's not on the right side and it's not on the left side, it is on the Fin side. <laughs>